1 District 6, stage 4 shooting, Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Ceballero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, it's Friday, and what Friday tells us is it's time to go Inside EMS. I don't know if I can keep coming up with those quirky beginnings, but uh, here's a guy that needs no quirky beginning. That's our good friend, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you? I'm fine. I I am the quirky beginning. You are the quirky beginning. That's right. You don't need one. You got me. You are the peanut butter to my jelly. Or maybe am I the peanut butter? You're the jelly? It makes no difference. We're a pair. We're a a couple. We're a team. I'm, I'm Jif Extra Crunchy. And I don't care how big you are. I will always be the bigger spoon, so just remember that. <laughs> so, Kelly, this is the day. I mean, I think I'm really yeah. excited because uh, I just love talking to this guy. And, uh, you know, everybody knows who it is from the from the notes, but uh, I'm going to build up a little anticipation. And uh, I would really like to start a movement. And, Kelly, you as uh, one of the premier, I'm going to say it, premier educators in the United States, you need to help me with this. And this man has single-handedly changed the face of pediatric education, especially when it comes to drug calculations. And we mm-hmm. really need to start a movement to get his we methods and get his system That's right. into initial training for paramedics. This way there can be some confidence and some understanding and uh, you know that big comfort level. But here he is, our good friend, all the way from South Florida, Dr. Peter Antevi. Pete, come on in here. And say hello you guys to the group. Uh, Chris, Kelly, thank you guys so much. And uh, I wanted to thank both of you. First of all, you know, Chris, you've been so helpful to me. Uh, when, when I started the uh, Mobile Integrated Health Program, you helped me with you know, tremendous education. And uh, it's been very successful. And, and Kelly, obviously, uh, I've known you for a while and a great educator. And I just, I'm, I'm just as excited as you guys are to be on this podcast. Thank you so much we're, for having we're, me. We're going to, we're going to make, an, we're going to make the hand heavy system as syn- synonymous with pediatrics as Braslow ever was. Braslow. Well, who's that? Is Braslow, is he in yeah, pediatric Bras education? Who? <laughs> is he in pediatric education? So, you know, Pete, it's always great to have you here. And, and I got to tell you, I mean, when you, when you think about the, you know, pediatric education and you and I have a rich history, uh, as I was uh, the chair for the EPC course for NEMT, you know, we really worked, uh, kind of close together initially when you had your, uh, you know, when you first came out with your system and you were telling me before we now started, uh, the recording that you're going to be in all 50 States and, uh, you know, it's taken you a good long haul to get here, man. But how are things going with the uh, hand heavy system? Oh, it's it's going great. The best part about it, guys, is that I've met amazing people across this country who care, uh, and they care so much that they they made a change at the department when really a lot of people thought that we were just a fad or we're gonna that we weren't gonna be here tomorrow. And um, and now to see that uh we're in you know uh, almost all 50 states uh hospitals at the Cleveland Clinic have adopted us across their entire system uh, the Disney nice. cruise lines yeah um so um but it's been it's been all about the people the stories that we hear uh, the the lives that have been saved uh from because of the great paramedics out there who really care uh EMS is really the best place to be i think and uh the people out there are just amazing it is pretty cool. So yeah, let me ask you, I mean, Kelly, maybe you have the answer to this. What's the movement? How do we start the discussion of making the hand-heavy system part of VMS initial education? I mean, 
uh, who, who are these people that write the curriculum and how can we kind of start a, a movement to, to make this happen for our career field? Uh, well, first, I think we emphasize how, how simple it is to use. Uh, you know, in our last show, uh, you were talking about uh, doing, you, you had an 11-year-old uh, doing drug calculations in about five minutes uh, using a hand-heavy system. And, and we point out the, the I don't fact know that, that he was, how, I don't know that he was 11. Wasn't he, was it might have been was he seven, seven? Pete? Yeah. Seven, yeah. 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 Seven. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. Well, in Louisiana, our our math skills kind of lag behind. So, so. you gotta wait till you're eleven to catch so up. A, yeah. yeah, so an equivalent seven year old in Florida, <laughs> probably an eleven year old in Louisiana. Um, but uh yeah, we emphasize how how simple a system it is to use in the failings of the current system. You know, we've all used uh well, I can remember the days when I thought the Proslow system was the bee's knees. Um uh, because I didn't have to use a pediatric emergency wheel anymore. Uh, but we're no longer in those days either. We've got better things. Uh, and and the, as few uh, pediatric emergencies as we run, uh, we need every resource we can, every cheat sheet we can use to help us run those more efficiently. You know, we run enough emergency uh, adult calls that, that drug dosages and equipment sizing and, and running those calls are kind of second nature to us because we have the opportunity to practice them more often. Uh, we don't have that opportunity with pediatrics. And when we, when we uh, run them, we, we don't tend to do it nearly as efficiently because we just don't have the, the institutional experience with them. Uh, and I think that, that uh, you know, I think that that uh, emphasizing the use of a uh, of a system to make that sort of thing easier is something that needs to be uh, incorporated into education from the very beginning, uh, and the hand heavy system is perfect for that. So, so Kelly, I, I, I first of all I want to thank you for that, but mm-hmm. I, I, I want to mention that the one major difference, and again, if you're if you're in pediatrics and you're listening to this, you're probably going to hate what I'm about to say, but I'm I now now that I'm a medical director for you know several EMS agencies. 100% committed to the fact that we need to treat children like little adults and we need to change the paramedic curriculum because again I'm the medical director for two paramedic programs but I'm kind of stuck in a curriculum that teaches adults 80% of the curriculum and then there's like a couple of days thrown in on pediatrics mm-hmm. but, the, but the algorithms are exactly the same right the yeah uh, treating a seizure hypoglycemia asystole bfib svt i mean our medics know what they're doing. They're probably better at it than anybody else inside a hospital. Why is it that all of a sudden we, we think of pediatric SVT as different than adult SVT? So, uh, you know, the movement that I think we ought, to, we ought to have here is to come back together and treat children the same as we treat adults, give them the same high-quality care that uh-huh. adults And then the outcomes, right? We'll get yeah. amazing outcomes just like we do for the adults. Hang on a second. No longer, Hang on a second, no longer Pete. Make pediatric education an afterthought. Right. But let's push back here because we started off in, in the career field saying that pediatrics were little adults. And then there was this big paradigm shift about 10 years ago that pediatric patients aren't little adults. So now you're, you're, <laughs> you're starting to now come back to the, you know, to the thought of treating them the same and, 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 you know, treating them like adults or, or in the same in the same paradigm, isn't that right. kind of going uh, back where we were? Right. So exactly. So this is how that happened because people became super specialized, and the pediatricians wanted to carve out their own little space in the world. But it turns out, and maybe I'll I'll uh, 
phrase it differently. For emergency pediatric care, right, we have to be in that in that sweet spot. And for paramedics, any pre-hospital provider, your sweet spot is taking care of dirt sick people, most of whom, when you get there, are in cardiac arrest or going to cardiac arrest. How come my paramedics, when they go on a scene of a 65-year-old in arrest, they pull the guy out of the bathroom, they put him in the middle of the living room, they move the furniture, they talk to the spouse, they say, we're going to stay here for 20 minutes, and the spouse says, great, go ahead. But for pediatrics, we don't do that. Scoop like, and run. Scoop and run, right. Why yeah. does adult get that type of care? It's because, Chris, like you said, we, we actually diverged away from this common sense attitude to this one where now we want to own that part of the world, the pediatricians do. And then the adult folks, like that, that has led to this major problem that we teach it differently. So for example, if I just say 65-year-old cardiac arrest and I say the next words two-year-old cardiac arrest, your brain goes in two different directions because the education that you've received and the things that you've heard over the last you know, couple of decades have, have led you to believe that. And at the end of the day, the short end of the stick goes to the pediatric patient. That's not fair. Yeah, but one of the well, things yeah. to think about, sorry, Kelly, one of the things to think about, too, is, is I think that that scooping and running really goes towards the provider's confidence level of not knowing yes. the drug doses, of not knowing the size of the blade, of not looking, you know, having yes. to look stuff up on their book in front of their parents or their, you know, their kids in cardiac arrest. And uh, I'm really excited to hear Kelly's question. But before I do that, you've got a you've got a little acronym that you use, and maybe you could just share that with the listeners that give them the opportunity to say, this is what you need to do before you move the patient. Right. So, so for, for, for years we've been saying our new acronym is R, is R A B C D E, right? So uh, instead of airway, breathing, circulation, and so forth. So I tell all my medics, and, and now in our course, you know, we have a course now that uh, uh, a four-hour provider course that we teach. We say the A is for arrive, so arrive on scene. B is BVM, so go right to the airway. C is for compressions. Obviously, we want to do uh, CPR just as, as well as we do as for the adults. Uh, D is for drill. So I don't want my medics you know, playing with an IV. Go right to the IO, and we can say proximal tibia. We could say distal femur. We could say proximal humerus. All those are, uh, are appropriate. And then epinephrine. And so most kids that we find are in asystole. Uh, so if we do the A, B, C, D, E, and you do it like a SEAL Team 6, right? So uh -huh. it's almost like you get in there and... I don't care if the oxygen is connected to the O2 or not. Just get to the kid's airway, get to his chest, get to the drill, get to the epi, and then stay on scene for one round, and then stay on scene for a second round. And all of a sudden, you'll say to yourself, hey, I'm good at this. And if you know the dose before you get there, right, which is what our system teaches you, it's all about confidence. It's all about how you feel because when you open the doors of that ambulance, guys, you know how it is. People are looking at you. And when they're looking at you, they're, they're asking themselves one question. Can this person or these people take care of my son or daughter? And if you're walking out of that vehicle and you're a little nervous and you're shaking and they see that you're breathing fast, then you're not instilling confidence in them. But if you know the dose for a one-year-old is one ml of epi, and by the way, one ml of amiodarone, and all it is is bag, 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 push, 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 drill, give a dose of epi, then why can't you excel and be a superstar on that scene? Of course you can. So that's what we ought to be doing and removing all the trash between our two ears that have told us through the years that we can't do that. That's nonsense in my opinion. And you see, I get very emotional about it because right. I'm really right. adamant about it. 
Well, I think it's one of the things that uh, you do well. And, and, you know, when you talk about that ABCD, uh, you know, and then you think about your next round of drugs, your next round of epi, you know, staying on scene for one, uh, you know, for putting epinephrine on, you know, twice or two cycles. I mean, how much time is that really taking? I mean, you're talking about what, three, uh, less than five minutes, uh, yeah. 10 minutes the mm-hmm. most? Not even. Yeah, not even. And, th- and there was a paper that came out in 2016 in the journal uh, Resuscitation that showed that the best outcomes for out-of-hospital pediatric cardiac arrest were in those patients who, were, who had on-scene care for 25 to 30 minutes. So again, exactly the same as you would find in adults' outcomes. Pediatric outcomes are better when we stay on scene and we take care of what's going on. If you bring a dead kid to me in the ER, then the child is never going to come back to life in a, in a reasonable way that they'll have neurologic, uh, uh, you know, a, a normal neurologic function. They will not have that. EMS, the paramedic provider, is the number one person to bring children back to life beyond, obviously, the lay person who's performing CPR and scene prior to that, which is important too. So EMS has this responsibility. It's an awesome responsibility to have. And if we don't, if we don't own up to that, then it's never going to happen. So, Pete, let me ask you this question, because I've been saying this for a lot of years, and I'd really like to get your opinion on it. If you know that pediatrics is your weak spot, and, and we all agree on that. We've been hearing that for years. If we think about the one call that gives the EMS provider the most trepidation, what is it? And, and we all know the answer. Why is it that it's still a challenge, though? Because if we know that that's our weakness, how come we've not turned that into a strength? What is the obstinance? of EMS providers to not make this a strength and still feel fearful of dealing with this special population? That's a great question with an, an answer that um, it's taken me so long to figure out. So here it is. The way that we treat adult patients, you hear the age, 65-year-old, cardiac arrest, and as soon as your brain hears that, it knows exactly what, what to do. It knows what dose to give. In pediatrics, however... And again, Dr. Brazo is a great man, right? Probably one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. But the length-based tape doesn't allow you to start the dosing of medications until where? Until you're in front of mom and dad and the kid's dead in front of you. And so you've spent the last six to eight minutes riding in an ambulance, nervous. You get to the scene and now you have to use a length-based tape. It's exactly the opposite of what you do for the adult. And so... There's no one in the world. You can go through 100 more PALS classes, but unless you know the dose before you get there, unless you feel confident with what you're about to do before the doors open, it's never going to happen. And so, you know, we've, we've seen it now in real time because we've, we've been teaching our Hentevi course across the country now that once you give someone the dose, someone who was fearful 10 minutes ago, now I said the dose for the two-year-old is 1.2 cc's of epi, 1 to 10,000. And all of a sudden they say, okay, and cardiac arrest is exactly the same algorithm, yes. And all of a sudden you put them in that scenario and all of a sudden they, they, they end the scenario and they say, wow, that was easy because I felt like I was comfortable and I was confident. So everything we've been doing for 30 years, we have to change the paradigm so that when you hear an age of a child or an age of an adult, your brain can say, I, I know exactly what I'm going to do. And so... We are going, quote unquote, against the grain with that education, but that's the only way to change it. You have medics who have been doing this for 30 years and they still don't feel comfortable with pediatrics because 
the system doesn't allow you to ever feel comfortable. And that's what we're changing. Give us a chance to mentally prepare before we ever walk in the door. Absolutely. That's a, that's an excellent point. Cause you know, that that's, that's half the battle right there is, is yep. kind of rehearsing and game planning the call in your head so that it runs smoothly. Um, and I think that's why most people have some such trepidation about working the pediatric code on scene and giving them the same fighting shot that an adult would, uh, and, and allowing family presence at resuscitation is because we're not mentally prepared. Uh, we don't have the tools to be mentally prepared when we step out of the truck. And it, Kelly, very, very well said. I will tell you, I go to hospitals across the country. And by the way, yesterday I worked a shift where I resuscitated a 14-year-old kid. Um, and I can tell you that there's, I mean, even me, I've been doing this for 16 years. I don't know the dose of the, uh, the size of the central line, of the NG, of the Foley, uh, the norepinephrine drip, the Presidex. We, we must have given this kid 20 different medications yesterday. I, I don't know how to mix those or make those, but we have a system in place where when I say I need Epi or I need Presidex or I need Phosphenitoin, that someone just says, okay. So I can kind of be in the zone. Just like an EMS, you have to be in the zone. Uh -huh. And so that's what we have to do to change it. And we have done that successfully. We're really excited about it. Interesting stuff. So one of the things I wanted to ask you, Pete, is, you know, you as a medical director, you as an expert in uh, pediatric care, of course, uh, uh, with your boards and such. And, of course, you know, the go-to expert for EMS. I'm sure your, your providers come to you and they're, they're probably just asking you for a wealth of information. You know, what are some of the questions... Or, or maybe even the most common question that a provider will come up to you and say, Doc, I had this thing. How do I deal with it? What, what's that question? So, wow. So I could, I could think of just off the top of my head, I could think of there's, there's five, five things that come to mind that I, I get asked all the time. And so uh, I'll just go through them here. So essentially, the first one's all about airway. And they always say to me, hey, Doc, you allow your paramedics to intubate. Uh, or what's your most what, what's your favorite superglottic airway? So um, I'll start by saying that my medics know that if you have a BVM and it works, then you're using a BVM. Uh, of course, if the, if the kid can tolerate an OPA, put an OPA in. But if you're getting good compliance and you're getting good chest rise and you're hunky dory, uh, go right ahead and do that. And so that that's kind of first and foremost. Secondly, I would say that there's such good superglottic airways out there. Uh, that I think that uh, the whole the whole act of intubation is much more difficult. So things like the uh, King LT or the iGel are, are are the two that I like. Uh, they come down all the way to the to the smallest pediatric size and they go all the way up to the adult. Uh, so though I think those airways are good. There's obviously some LMAs out there uh, that are good. But when you think of uh, not having to have another number to blow up a balloon. So mm -hmm. the only negative I have about the king is that every size king requires a different inflation pressure, if you will. The eye gel, you just shove it in there. Um, now, the only negative to the eye gel is that in the smaller sizes, it doesn't have those two clips that you can actually secure the eye gel down into the airway. And yeah. what people recognize is that when you push on the chest, the eye gel will just pop out a little bit. And if you don't realize it popped out, uh, just by like a centimeter, then you're not really ventilating or oxygenating the child. So uh, I would say as far as airway is concerned, the, that's the, the number one question. But again, BVM is still king on that one. The second thing is pain control. Uh, people always ask me, hey, what do you think about pain control? Uh, I get questions about morphine, fentanyl, and now, of course, ketamine. 
And so my comment here is that fentanyl is the number one, uh, I think it's a great drug, I-N, I-M, or I-V. Uh, so it's much more rapid acting than morphine. And if you, I don't have to tell you guys this, but um, remember the days you would give morphine to your patient and then at 20 minutes later, you're already in the emergency department, the patient's still screaming in pain. Uh-huh. And, then, and, and then finally, finally at like five minutes later, the doctor gets all the credit. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fentanyl. You can't, you can't titrate morphine. Not, yeah. not in pre-hospital care. Not very easily. You might. And it's, uh, it, it, it takes 25 minutes to hit peak effect. Uh-huh. Whereas fentanyl really takes a couple of minutes. Uh, so I think fentanyl intranasal for pediatrics is a big thing. But the very key thing to remember is that the MAD device holds about 0.1 ml of dead space in it. And so if you're giving uh, a small dose of fentanyl intranasally and the MAD device is eating up 0.1 ml, oftentimes in the younger kids, people think the MAD device doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work because you're only giving them a third of the dose. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And that's, so that, that's something that, that, that we've, uh, we've learned. And then ketamine. Uh, I love ketamine. I mean, uh, I think ketamine should be used for a lot of situations. But, and here's the big but, you have to be careful with the concentration because the concentration that most EMS agencies carry is 100 milligrams per ml. That was never meant to go into an IV. That's meant to go in the muscle for excited delirium, right, the lateral thigh. So mm-hmm. my word of warning is that if you're going to give ketamine uh, through the IV, you need to carry the diluted concentration of 10 milligrams per ml because if not, you're going to cause yourself a whole bunch of problems like laryngospasm uh, and so forth. So, again, Fentanyl number one, ketamine, go ahead and use it, but please have the pediatric, or, or I should say the concentration that goes through the IV. So th- th- those, those are two. I can give you guys more, uh, but th- those are two major ones that we talked about. Me, let me throw another one at you on the subject of pain, Dr. Antevi. Um, what pain scale do you recommend, or what's your preference for pain scale for uh, for uh, your pediatric patients? Do you use the, the flock scale or a, some type of visual analog, or, or is there one that you teach your medics that works better than all the rest? Yeah, I think that the, the Wong-Baker scale, which is just basically the Wong-Baker smi- faces? Okay. Yeah, the, the faces one, I think, is probably uh, universal for both young and old, and that's mm-hmm. what we use primarily. Um, I would say that as, that as you get older, you can you can give someone a, like the, the number scale, uh, like a, a visual analog scale, and so forth. But um, here here's my here's my my one liner on that is that you have to be doing something because with meaningful use coming through, what's going to happen is if you document the seven and don't document that you provided pain control to your patient, then you're not going to get paid for that call. And so mm-hmm. all of us need to be very familiar with the fact that. If you're not if you're not providing the care that you that is deemed necessary, then you're you're not going to get paid, or 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 you'll get paid less for those for those uh, calls that you're running that you're not providing appropriate care. The the other other issue is that with seizure control, whether you use midazolam uh, or or Valium. So it's it's Versed, Valium, or Ativan is really what a lot of people ask me about. Right. We we really should all be using Versed because it's that's midazolam. It's uh it's great intranasally. It works really fast, just like a fentanyl would. And so in EMS, we need things that act really fast, that are really easy to give. And so midazolam fits that bill, uh, fentanyl fits that bill. So I'd really highly recommend everyone use intranasal dosing of things like midazolam and fentanyl. 
Interesting stuff, man. Interesting stuff. So let me ask you this question, because you talked about some big drugs here, man. You talked about ketamine. You talked about fentanyl. Um, and usually we, we, we've kind of shied away from those types of drugs with pediatric patients, whereas you're saying, again, getting back to treating them the same, um, have there been studies that have shown in the pediatric patients that drugs like ketamine and, and fentanyl, uh, midazolam, they're really working better? There's too many studies to count by now. Honestly, the ketamine, the fentanyl, the midazolam, there's, there's so many great studies out there. And I really, I really think that um, a great EMS protocol, so if you, if you want to have a great pediatric or I should say pre-hospital protocol, like in Palm Beach County, um, where I work with another amazing doctor, uh, Dr. Ken Shepke, if you look at our protocol, guys, it's all one protocol. There's no separate pediatric protocol. And so... The same drugs you would get for the adult is the same drugs you get for the pediatrics, uh, just at different dosages, right? And so these, these are drugs that um, we, we should be giving children. Um, I would even say that your intranasal dose should be up to 2 mics per kilo, right? A lot of people, we would say 1.5 to 2 mics per kilo intranasally, but IV, you can go down to 0.5 or 1 mic per kilo. So it does get a little bit difficult if you don't have a system that does the calculation for you but once you're a high-end system and you can use different dosages so there are people who use our system who use ketamine for rsi ketamine for sedation ketamine for pain and <laughs> though it's it's amazing it's amazing the complexity that you can take a provider i could take a first year paramedic student give them the dose and they feel super comfortable providing these highly quote-unquote critical drugs to pediatric patients, they deserve those drugs, right? Right? They're, they're in pain. Yeah. If you have a kid who has had a burn and they're screaming in pain or a kid who's got an elbow dislocation, they're screaming in pain and you're not giving them a dose of fentanyl or, or ketamine if you have it, then you're doing them a disservice. And so we, we owe them this care. Um, and listen, if they stop breathing because you made a mistake, what have you, you can reverse them, number one, or you can bag them. Right. So Pete, let me there's ask nothing to be scared about. Let me ask you this, uh, and I, I keep jumping over Kelly, but I'm just so excited you're here. <laughs> For people that aren't familiar with the Hantevi system, and I know that it's uh, you know you got a course now. Maybe you could just give them a little bit of taste of what the of what the philosophy is about how to do drug dosages. Right. So we we feel that the only way to have you feel comfortable treating a kid like you treat an adult is by number one convincing you that they're not different. And so our course throughout the entire four hour course. We, we keep telling you, when you hear two-year-old arrest, we want you to think 62-year-old arrest. And, and, and people say, okay, that's easy to do. And then as soon as you hear the case, we say, okay, what's the algorithm for SVT? Okay, well, I can, I can try to do some vagal maneuvers. I can try an ice pack. Okay, I did that. Now, uh, this is, of course, after the ABCs. And then uh, we want to give a dose of adenosine, exactly what you would do for an adult. Great. So now our system, either by mobile application or in a book, will tell you that the dose is, let's say, 0.4 mLs. And you look at your partner and you say, hey, partner, let's give a dose of adenosine. And the partner says, no problem. They drop the 0.4 mLs. In the meantime, you're talking to the parent. And we, we actually go through this. And we make you draw up the drug. And we, we show you how long it takes to make D25 out of D50. And in the meantime, we ask you, talk to the parent. Calm the child down. And next thing you know, the person is drawing up their dose of medication. And after doing this once or twice or three times, you look back and you say, wow, that was fun because there was no 
taking out a length-based tape only if you need it. I mean, we have a length-based tape, but people rarely use it. There was no doing math. And all of a sudden, you're just dealing with disease processes. You're not dealing with a two-year-old or a 65-year-old. You're dealing with somebody who has SVT. And we all know how to take care of a person with SVT. And so the next step, which I'm really excited about, is that now we have that information on your Toughbook so that you have the dose of fentanyl is listed for you. You just tap on it. And then that information seamlessly goes right into your electronic medical record as uh, if uh, you were in your medical record. And so we've partnered with the ESO first. We're working with people like ImageTrend and Zoll and, and other of the big companies so that you can know the dose before you get there, get off scene, and really feel comfortable and confident, and then not have to go back to the station three hours later and then figure out what you documented. Everything's happening in real time. Um, and so we... We've taken this big problem of, 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 of confidence, of, of, of medication dosing, of uh, documentation, and we've, we've kind of taken all that away, and we've, we're letting people now focus on the child and feeling like they are really good at what they do. And that's kind of our, uh, that, that's our, um, that's our system in a nutshell, if you will. Yeah, I got to tell you, I mean, you make it sound really easy. And so, Pete, if folks want to get in touch with you or get in touch to have this course, is there a way that they could do that? Absolutely. Uh, head over to the website. It's just Hantevi.com. Uh, my personal email is peter at Hantevi.com, which I think everyone has as well. Um, yeah, just please just go to the website. And we have, we have a great team. We have nine people now here um, at the office uh, who, who are really wonderful people, and they really make my life a whole lot easier as well. Uh, my wonderful wife, Allison, who runs the company, and uh, we're all on a mission here. And so um, everyone who wants to join along, we're really excited about that. All right. Well, Dr. Peter Antevi, it's always great when you're here and, uh, you know, very exciting that uh, things are going well for you. And, and just uh, for my own knowledge, how long has it been now since you've, been ha since you've had your company and because uh, I, I remember we kind of got together almost as soon as you came on the uh, on the market. I'm just curious how long that's been now. The, the first agency started using us in 2012, wow. but the company has been formally uh, filed in 2010. So uh, it's been it's been uh, a, a wonderful ride. We've met amazing people, uh, and really that's that's really the best part of what we do now. We just meet amazing people all across the country. We feel very privileged about that. Well, I know that some of those amazing people are right here with you. So, uh, and, and meaning that's my partner who's going to go ahead and give us the close now. But uh, what a great show, yeah. huh, Kelly? Yeah, yeah. You know, and it occurs to me that uh, I'm looking back over it and um, uh, the uh, all the different things that I've learned about pediatrics, virtually every useful thing about pediatric emergency care that I've learned post-graduation has come out of Florida think about it you know uh my my original pep course uh came from uh the uh the romic sisters um you know Braslow was was from florida some of the early uh education on sids care um came out of florida and and now the the knee plus ultima the hand heavy system uh right out of florida uh, so you guys are doing great things for pediatric care um, and, and, uh, we encourage people to, to, uh, explore the hand heavy system and, and see what it can bring, uh, to your agency. But Pete, thanks for being on the show. Um, we're looking forward to having you on again. 
Um, and for myself and co-host Chris Sebolero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. You guys don't forget to rate us on iTunes, and we'll catch you guys next week.